it's just creating a culture that allows you to have both of those things coming through so the organic growth and also the senior teams because I think a lot of businesses get one really good but they don't get the other very good and I think that's where they potentially can, could struggle to grow. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ben Broughton. Ben is the founder of Premise, a specialist provider of technology talent solutions across the UK and the USA. They launched in September 2021, and in less than five months, they've already grown to 21 heads. Ben started his recruitment career in 2000, working for the S3 Group, where he ran and built several offices. And then in 2006, he joined Premier Group, and he built out the contract function for that business and opened London, Manchester, Birmingham, New York, and Austin for the company. So over 14 years, he oversaw growth to $30 million in revenue and £10 million uh, in net fee income and about 110 employees. Now, as the founder of Premise, Ben's mission is to grow a technology-focused recruitment business that truly puts people first. Ben, welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me today. Appreciate it. I'm excited. So uh, you were referred to me by Steve Beckett. How do you know Steve? Uh, Steve and I go way back. I think Steve first kind of pitched Sourcebreaker to me when it was a, a, a lowly spreadsheet. Um, and uh, I didn't buy it, first of all, but he kept coming back. And uh, and yeah, we took the product and, and I've been a massive, massive fan of Sourcebreaker ever since. Great product. And Steve and Adam over there are brilliant guys. All right. Fantastic. So shout out to Steve and the team at Sourcebreaker. Uh, Steve's been on the show before. And by the way, my COO, Leanne, says hello. Um I believe she and her friend Kat placed quite a few recruiters with you at Premier Group when she was in the Rector X space. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Small world. Such an incestuous place, recruitment. Everyone knows each other. (laughs) Absolutely. It is a small world. And uh, uh, Leanne is a force of nature. Together, we've we've doubled the sales of Recruitment Coach in the last year and still growing. That's insane, mate. Insane. Brilliant work. Um, So listen, I'd like to actually do this in reverse chronological order, starting with premise because that's what's new and exciting for yeah. you yeah and um building a startup from zero to 20 people in five months is insane can you tell me that journey yeah absolutely um i mean it's been it's been an incredible journey so far and was kind of riding the the waves of it right now but i'm i'm very much kind of my own worst critic and nothing's nothing's ever good enough for me so even though we're at this stage and i'm still i'm still not happy and, and we can still be doing more but i think that the business as a whole we've got an incredible bunch of people um you know we're, we're doing tech tech talent solutions across the uk and the us um we should finish you know our, our financial year finishes started first september finishing 31st of april we're on target to do just just over 1.1 million in terms of um, NFI, which will be a brilliant kind of first six months for us. Um, and yeah, it's going well. The US business is, is flying. We're building a nice contract book. Um, and I think, you know, the, the joy of doing a startup at, you know, for, for ripe old age of 41 now um, is just, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of mistakes over the years. You know, you've looked at Obviously, you know, scaled Premier um, from kind of 16 people to 110. So it's looking at really building solid foundations now so that the business can just go on and scale and grow. Um, so, you know, that that for me was the absolute key part to making sure we've got an incredible tech stack, um, you know, the processes, the workflows, everything in place so that when we come to grow and add new heads and we're aiming for kind of 52 heads by the end of end of 2022 um, and three, three and a half million uh, NFI is our kind of goal for this year. 
Um, and it's just making sure we've got the right process and structure in place to do that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. We've got, as I said, you know, I'm a big believer that the business is only as good as the people you employ. And we have got some truly fantastic people in the business and um, kudos to those guys. They've absolutely smashed it in our first five months. Amazing. I love it. So why did you start Premise and what is the vision? Sure. So um, obviously my time at Premier Group came to, came to a close in February 2021. So I was then in the garden for, for, for kind of six months, um, uh, you know, building and, and, and looking at what, what was next for me and, and the next steps. Um, I was I was not I wasn't majority shareholder of Premier Group, and I think you know when you um, look to run your own business or be MD or you know the, the kind of the, the main man at the top of the tree when it comes to running a, an organisation or woman, sorry. Um, I think it's you know when you when you when you are a majority shareholder, it's a very different way of running things. Um, so I think you know building premise, it was looking at okay, I know the UK market, I know the US market. They're the two areas that you know I've I've built businesses in before. Um, we've done a massive one of the big pillars of our business uh, is around diversity and inclusion. Um, so what we've actually done is built out um, a training solution. So every time we partner with a client, we come in, we offer them training around unconscious bias, how to hire a diverse workforce, um, and really just you know give some give some value to that business. I think you know anybody, every company right now is looking at diversity and inclusion, how they can improve it within their business. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that it starts with the recruitment process. You know you can't build out a diverse team unless you get the recruitment element of that right. Um, so it's a it's a major major part for. You know, we've we've got a completely separate division within the business, purely focused around diversity and inclusion. We've partnered and retained some incredible trainers and coaches who go into our clients and deliver this training and just open people's views and, and, and eyes in it. Really, you know, I remember I kind of had unconscious bias training probably about two two years ago, and it was just like you don't think you have unconscious bias until you run through the session, and then it's like, oh my god, you know, this is what, what's wrong with me? Why am I thinking like this? You know, and it's and it's an incredible journey to go on, um, and yeah, that's. That's a real kind of pillar of the of the new business. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So it sounds like in your previous business, you you weren't the majority shareholder. You had you wanted to do things in a certain way, and the only way for you really fulfill that vision was to do your own do your 100%, own thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and uh, but you you scaled up very quickly. So like you presumably that was the plan from the beginning. What? What's the end goal here? Like, where are you going with this? Yeah, so the end goal, um, we are currently, we're aiming to be the the fastest growing tech talent uh, firm in the UK and US by 2025. So we've given ourselves three years and we're going to be looking at the, the Fast Recruiter 100 awards for that to kind of, you know, get gain our, our growth. So that's the kind of main aim. Um, I think, you know, UK and, and US growth, we've currently got um, London. We actually opened our Birmingham office yesterday, which is very exciting. Oh, congrats. Um, yeah. So we've got boots on the ground in Birmingham now, and then the team are moving over. We've got a head of New York and a head of Austin. Um, and we are just obviously waiting for our, our E2 visas to come through, which uh, the applications are in and that interview is taking place. So that won't be too long. And then we move the US uh, team over to, to the US and start growing out that side. But I think a couple more offices in the US would definitely be on our radar maybe one more office in the UK um, but you know it, it's world domination mark you know we want to we want to get this <laughs> get this business as big as we can as, as quick as we can um, and for me you know the, the biggest part of this we've got an EMI scheme um, for the business that's getting rolled out at the end of Q1 that, that just gives everybody access to have shares in the business um, I think for me personally you know if, if I can have I've currently got 80% of the organisation but you know if I end up with kind of 60% and the, the team have the, the other 40 but we were 
four times as much, then that's just a no-brainer for me. So I think, you know, we, we really want to make sure that, that everybody feels like they have a piece of the pie. It's not just a job coming to get your commission paycheck every month. That's obviously great and you get that. But if the business is successful, their intrinsic value at the end of the journey or, you know, whenever that kind of event happens, everybody everybody gets success out of it from, from, you know, from everybody in the business, no matter what level you're at. Amazing. I've been seeing this more and more. In fact, uh, the most recent interview I did uh, or that we just published was Tom Hopkinson. He's yep. in the renewable space and uh, he, he just sold his business for 33 million euros or something like that Lovely uh, to Brunel in Amsterdam. Uh, but he had the CMI scheme, share option scheme. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I'd love to talk more about that in a in a second. So <clears throat> you identified a number of kind of success factors here, the diversity and inclusion piece, which you've kind of built into the DNA of your business. And you're actually using that as a differentiator as part of your the way you engage with with clients. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, but then you you listed off half a dozen other things like, you know, process, workflow, tech stack, you know, obviously the right people on the bus. Um, are there any other kind of critical factors that kind of when you you had six months to plan this and, and scheme and plan your world domination? Um, what else? You know, what what were the other headings on that plan? I think just building a business that you know is is set for the next five years at least in terms of in terms of what people want in the recruitment sector. I think there are still a lot of businesses out there that you know are treating recruitment businesses like they were kind of five ten years ago. Okay, you know the the consultant who's scared to go and you know get a coffee or or pop to Starbucks, you know, because they feel like they're chained to their desks. Uh, the lack of flexibility around the working life, and you know, when we talk to to our team, it's very much like the job needs to revolve around you rather than you revolving around the job. So for me, it's um, it's really creating a culture of trust. Um, and I think that, you know, if you if you trust your employees and you just let them, you know, off you go, go it's, as long as the results are there, like, don't worry about it. Okay. You know, as long as if the results aren't there, then yeah, we'll sit down and we'll have a chat and we'll look at what's going wrong. And if, you know, if, if your motivations and your drivers are in the right place for you to achieve the results. But I think if the results are there, just leave, leave people to it. You know, we do, we do three days in the office, but you know, massive flexibility around that. If people have got a, a gym class on a Monday at 10 o'clock they want to go to, not a problem. They'll make the time up elsewhere. Um, and I think it's just, uh, for me, being able to future-proof the business in that respect. Um, and, you know, it's a big, big lesson again from my past and, and everything I've been through in terms of business. But I just think the more you trust people, the more you'll get back from them. And that that was a real kind of big one for me in terms of, you know, if you're looking at pillars of the new business and when I was, when I was creating it, um, that was the area. And as I said, you know, the results we've had by giving people that trust have been insane. So, you know, it just, it works. Amazing. All right. So you're really speaking to the culture there and having that culture Absolutely. of trust. Yeah. And uh, so that's amazing. So <clears throat> let's break this down then. So diversity and inclusion, you've actually created a, an offering or, or is that packaged into your recruiting service offering or is it a separate thing is it optional or do you require the client to do it how does it work sure so i think we we want to get to a point in the future where if we partner with you and you're not taking dni seriously we won't work with you okay so that's kind of the end goal you know we want to really make a difference to the industry and i think that's you know everything we talk about within the team that that's really important to us we're not doing this just to tick a box we genuinely do because we want to make a difference in the industry um the second point in terms of how we package it. So if we work with a client and a lot of our clients we work on a retained basis 
basis. We've, you know, we kind of made the decision from the from the get go with the business that we're looking at package solutions, retained solutions. So when we're doing that, we offer it for free to the client. You know, this is a, an added benefit of partnering with us and working with us on a retained basis. You get this additional service for free. Um, if we work with a client on contingency, we still offer it. And it's look, Mark, it's it's a it's a loss leader for us. Okay, you know, we don't see this. This isn't about making profit from selling DNI training. Okay, this is about really educating and, and value add to our recruitment business. So, you know, we've we partnered with, as I said, some incredible trainers who who cover everything from LGBTQT plus to stress in the workplace to, you know, the gender pay gap, like everything you can, unconscious bias, everything you can look at, we've got training built around it. Um, and it's been, the response has been phenomenal. Like, you know, we've got so many clients that we're building out, you know, days of training for their business around DNI. Some of these clients we're not even recruiting for yet, uh, but, you know, but, but we're, the people are starting to see this as, you know, a separate part to our organization, which is just fantastic. And, you know, huge shout out to Lucy Grover, who, who runs that part of the business. She's doing an incredible job, really some great content and, and partnering with some incredible trainers in the industry. Amazing. I love that. So does this happen pre like search or during or after post? Like what, how does it fit in with your actual, if you are delivering, you know, a, a recruiting project for them? Yeah. We obviously try, always try and do it beforehand because if we can do, you know, a lot of the, the, the courses are tailored towards interviewing and how, you know, you can review a CV with unconscious bias, et cetera, et cetera. We try and do it pre-process. Obviously, if a client comes, you know, the recruitment your market, if a client comes, I need this person yesterday, then, you know, getting the training booked in isn't always, you know, t- time time efficient or a, a good way of doing things. But again, it's, you know, a, a lot, all of our client partnerships, you know, it, it is that as a partnership, you know, we're looking at being there for the long term. So if we, if they have an urgent role, we need to fail, then we'll look at booking the training in further down the line. All right. Awesome. Love that. That's really cool. Then you mentioned the way that you're partnering with clients, then they're either retained or sort of packaged. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, of course. So, We've got a number of different solutions, three kind of core ones, obviously kind of, you know, task talent as a service where we provide somebody on site to the client, um, you know, basically kind of, you know, branded as one of their employees, uh, which just allows people to kind of, you know, scale up and scale down in terms of their internal talent team. But obviously they get access to all the tools that we have. So obviously our, our database, our LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's been incredibly popular with our clients and, um, and taking it well. Second one is obviously package solutions. So looking at if a client's looking to hire 10 people, um, then it's, it's obviously volume recruitment. So we'll do a fixed price around those 10. Um, you know, from our point of view, we get exclusivity on 10 jobs. Fantastic. From the client's point of view, they get a discount rather than going out to, you know, four or five different agencies on contingency basis, they'll get a discount on the delivery. Um, and then we have uh, a solution where we just purely take over all the recruitment for the business. So we're then looking at their EVP, doing a review of their job specs, a review of their salary bandings, um, really getting kind of under the bonnet of the business. Um, and a- another project we've, we've done quite a few of this year, which has been incredibly exciting, is just doing a full review of the company's recruitment process. So, and we've done this for two really large kind of FTSE brands, one in the UK and one in the US, where we go in and just review their entire recruitment process. So we look at everything from, you know, how they how they engage with the market, again, their EVP, their culture within the t- talent team, um, and then produce that and, and present it back to the senior, senior leadership team, which has been really, for me, you know, from a personal point of view, incredibly insightful, you know, being able to kind of pick up the bonnet and, and look and, and be trusted to to do a full review of this of these you know huge businesses has been incredibly insightful. That sounds really cool. Mm. And by the way, the bonnet is the hood for those yeah, uh, in the US. listening in the Sorry, states. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So looking under the hood. Yeah. So you've got multiple solutions depending on what the client needs. So yeah. you've got the embedded solution where it's one of your recruiters, but they're working internally 
at the client yeah. using your tools and and your know-how and training and support and everything. You've got this sort of packaged solution where there's going to be a number of hires over a period of time. Uh, you have what sounds like an RPO model, basically, where they're yeah. outsourcing everything to you. Yeah. And then you've also got these various consulting and training yeah. solutions around that. Okay. Wow. That sounds like you've really thought this through. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, you know, the great thing is we've, you know, we've obviously documented all this and we've got a lovely kind of product suite that we present to our clients. And um, I think that was the benefit, really, of having six months sat twiddling my thumbs, not doing anything. You know, I, I a lot of people in my, my friendship group were like, are you going to chill out and take some out downtime? I was like, if you you know me, that's not something that I'm possible of capable of doing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was nice. It was nice to do that. And obviously, you know, um, again, building out all of our kind of internal training as well. You know, I used that time to get that done. So yeah. Amazing. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation, and if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. Tell me about the practicalities, though, of scaling as fast as you have, because, I mean, internal recruiting is difficult, Mm -hmm. Uh, training and onboarding and getting people productive and then, you know, cash flow positive and also implementing all the other things you're doing, like how have you physically done that in such a short time? What what are the logistics involved here? Yeah, I think, you know, I've obviously, I've been in recruitment for 24 years, so I've got a, g- a good kind of network of people that mm-hmm. I've, you know, I know and and um, and have, have joined the journey with me already. Um, so so very honored in that respect, you know, that, that people have, have seen my brand, my personal brand, know I'm doing a startup. Okay, you know, let, let's join this this journey with Ben. So I've been very fortunate in that on that front. I've built out already a, a really strong management team within the business, which I think is very important for me because, you know, if you've got a good management team, a good leadership team that you know and you trust, then the business will effectively run itself day to day, you know, which is, you know, for any business leader, that's what you want. So you can then go and focus on the growth, the strategy, looking at the next steps, making sure that you are the the leading kind of player in the field. Um, and I think, you know, just we're obviously empowering our management team to go and, and hire for people themselves. We've got some, uh, we've partnered with two Rectorex who are incredible, um, best in class. Um, so they've been incredible good for us as well and you know we've we've looked at we work with those guys on kind of a retained basis as well so you know they're they're kind of locked into us and they you know they're they're very much kind of our brand ambassadors in the market um and then what we're switching to from from kind of march this year 
um, is we're launching our training academy. Um, so that's basically, again, something we've been building for the last kind of six, eight months. Um, and that's looking at bringing kind of three, three or four new hires in every single month, putting them through this kind of really structured training academy. Uh, and then obviously they, they qualify out of that and then join our kind of consultant team from that side as well. And that's really where we're going to get the growth from you know, 22 heads currently to, to kind of 52 by the end of this year. Amazing. So it sounds like the nucleus of the business, the core initial people were already people you knew and trusted. Surprisingly not. Um, okay. Yeah, surprisingly not. I've, I've got, um, you know, t- two, two guys um, who are both my US managers, Chris and Tim, um, who I was talking to, you know, and, and, and had relation, you know, initial kind of conversations with. Um, but it wasn't until we got together with both of them and had a beer and I ran through the, you know, the, the deck, I think it was the investor deck. Um, and both of them just like, yeah, love it. Let's, when, when do we start kind of thing? And I think, you know, obviously my experience of, of, of the US market and going out to market in the US and, you know, I've got a great network over there already, which we've, you know, we've really kind of reaped benefits from, from, from day one um, is just, yeah, proving really well for us. So, so yeah, so we've definitely had some, some fresh blood, uh, definitely into, into the business, but um, I think, yeah, the, the, a lot of the team as well um, on the flip side of that, I do, I do know and obviously have some prior relationships with. Amazing. Okay, so it's a mixture. And uh, what about the mix of experience versus rookies in the in the business? It's a good balance. You know, I think we have built out our kind of um, leadership team at the moment. We've got a couple more positions to fill in the leadership team, but we'll have through a team of kind of if we look at if I'm fast forwarding kind of to, to like let's say April May, uh, we'll probably have if all goes to plan in terms of what we're doing leadership team about six or seven um, in terms of the management team, um, and then obviously the rest of the team we made up from kind of principals seniors we've had we've had four promotions already since we launched in five months just because Amazing. you know people have just been absolutely flying so it's uh it's, you know because of that it's resulted in um in a load of promotions in the business which have been super positive to see love it love it so let's give a shout out to rector x by the way what who are who do you rate uh so versus talent are very good um Invertus? Virtus, V-E-R-T-U-S. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and then uh, Hasty and Brooke. Um, so uh, they, they know who they are. They're, uh, they're great. Okay. I don't want everyone else contacting them. This is a problem, you see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, what's interesting is um, you gave an insight um, as to how you work, partner with Rectorex. And mm. the irony is you would think recruiting firms would be great clients because they know how what they like and what they don't like they're about the, the worst, way they Mark. they're the worst well if this is what i'm hearing i <laughs> i had an i had a us rectorec uh lady on the show last couple of weeks ago don don and um she was xs3 actually uh from their new york office and she started a rectorec firm and she was bemoaning how re- recruiting recruitment agencies are the worst clients and yeah. they and i was like that blows my mind because you know, surely you understand what which clients get the best out of you and your team. Yeah, and and wouldn't you want to replicate that? So that's yeah. um, we're our, we're our own worst enemies when it comes to recruitment. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> totally. So you've got a good network. You've using Rectorex. Uh, you're then hiring rookies, and you've, you're building an academy. Um, tell me when you're recruiting experienced people, especially in leadership roles. Uh, obviously, you're selecting the right people who are going to be a fit for your business, but they're all coming from slightly different cultures. How are you indoctrinating people who haven't grown up inside your business to the, you know, premise way of doing things and and your values and your, like you mentioned culture of trust 
and results you know, focus and flexibility, you know, and other companies may not operate that way. So how do you instill, make sure that your leaders are all operating from the same uh, playbook? Yeah. I think it's, it's communication uh, for me is, is absolutely crucial with this. And I think um, I'm very much a believer of, I don't just, with my leadership team, I don't just know them on a, on a business level. For me, this is, this is, business is personal. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it just simply isn't. I think you've got to, you've got to know your leadership team on a personal level, spend time with them outside of the office, not just inside the office chain, you know, at your desk. Uh, I think it's so important. You get to know these people on the outside of, of, of the walls Um, and find out what's important to them, you know, just get, get an understanding understanding of everybody's different. You know, nobody has, not one person has the same motivation or same driver. Everybody's different. And I generally think as like a business owner or business leader, it's your job to, to really get under the skin and find out what is important to that person. Um, and, it, and it will change, you know, it will change through as people go through their lives and have children, get divorced, get married, whatever people's motivations do change. So it's very important that you stay on top of that constantly. Um, but for me, it's just that it's that personal time, you know, take, taking the guys out, you you know, for a, a dinner, we have a management team dinner like once a month without feel like we all get together and we, you know, just have that, have that time together to let steam come out of our ears, to, to, to say what's shit about the business, to say what's great about the business. Um, and just have that downtime together. Absolutely crucially important. And I think, you know, in, in that respect, you'll then, um, you get trust of people and you get people to, to, to feel like they just have a part and a say in the business. I think if you get that from your leadership team, um, then yeah, you're onto a winner. Amazing. I, I, absolutely. I love that. That's, um, that's really cool, Ben. So <clears throat> I'm really interested then in a couple of other things you said. One is you, the way that you uh, break into the US market, because you've done that before successfully. And it sounds like you've got um, people who are you're you're building that market from the UK before you move out there. Is is that the strategy, or how how does that work? Correct. Yeah. So um, so the you know we've we've we're building the team over in the UK currently. So including myself, you know, we're kind of doing. So I do kind of US hours, kind of two or three days a week. Um, the US team again flexibility around it, but you know they'll tend to be kind of doing eleven, twelve till seven, eight at night. Um, we're obviously going over, so we're doing trips in between. You know, meeting our clients, doing interviews, meeting candidates. So you know that's important that we're going over there. But yeah, the E two E two business application is in. Um, we've, uh, for, you know, obviously have you been through this process, Mark? Do you know how that works? No, I, I, I mean, I, I've clients who have. It. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you've obviously got to demonstrate an investment into the U S business kind of 60, 70,000. Um, so once we did that, we then obviously got the application through. Um, and then once the business application has gone through, you then start getting the sponsorship coming through for the individuals on the E2s. Um, and then obviously we've got, uh, you know, people who've got families to relocate and that kind of stuff. So we then look at relocating them. So fingers crossed. I mean, the, the US embassy at the moment has, has obviously been hit with some troubles because of COVID and uh, staff shortages and that kind of stuff. But appointments are coming through now, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll have everyone boots on the ground uh, kind of July July 1st, which would be just amazing to have the guys over there and have the team over there. I think it's uh, really smart. Um, I did a lot of work with a company called Amoria Bond in mm. Manchester for years. And when Gareth Lloyd was launching the Singapore office, he and he had a couple of key people in Manchester who just started working Singapore in hours and building, you know, a foundation that would mean that they weren't started from scratch when they got over there. And it was, it sort of de-risks the whole thing Absolutely. because, 
you know, you already have business and, and clients before you then relocate your family yeah. and everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. I've, um, I've always been a believer. Any new office I ever opened um, previously and, and even now, you know, before we opened, even opened Birmingham office yesterday, um, you know, you, you have enough revenue coming through to, to, to wipe its nose, to cover its costs. Um, you know, you, you build that, whether it be a contract model, build the recurring revenue, uh, or you have a, you know, a very, very hot, healthy, solid perm pipeline. You build that before you open the premises because the last thing you want to do is go there and then it's just a huge loss maker. So hundred uh, percent. And that's, you know, we've, we've obviously done that in spades right now for the, for the U S market already. Now it's just a question of getting the, um, you know, the, the legality sorted before we can officially move over there. Fantastic. Exciting times. Um, the other thing is this EMI scheme. What does EMI stand for again? Do you, do you know? Uh, <laughs> you had to do that. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm People, can Google it. It, yeah. People can Google Employee it. Employee Management so, Incentive Scheme. I want to say that. There you go. Something along those there lines. There you go. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's a, it's a way that people can get share options, but it counts if at, when there's some kind of exit event, event yeah. then they um, it counts as capital gains and not as income, which is taxed at a much lower rate. So it's much yeah. more beneficial for them. But then they feel like an owner and they've a real... Um, they feel like they are Part well. It. It's ownership and yeah. engagement, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and it's you've yeah. got you know you've got uh, Rosie sat in London office, and and America has an incredible month. You know, if Rosie's got shares in the business, she's like that's brilliant. You know, come to America. It's just this kind of global ownership. And it's just where, yeah. you know, people, you know, if you've got your name above the door of something, you just feel so much more part of it. Um, and I think, you know, we've always been very clear of that from the start, you know, it's in our company benefits package. It's all there. You know, we want people to have a, a share of this business. And as I said at the beginning, you know, for me, you know, to give shares away that what's going to increase the value of my shares, why? It's just a no-brainer. I genuinely don't understand people that don't do it. <laughs> I just think it's so logical. Well, and to be clear, you're giving share options, not shares at this stage, right? Yeah. So they, so there's, and if they leave, then they they lose those options, presumably. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put some vesting clauses in there. So I think it's really important, again, you know, if people are with us for a long period of time um, and do an incredible job and help us on the journey to grow, then we're looking at vesting periods, which is one of the, okay. probably one of the reasons it's, it's slowed down the process to get out to the guys, because that is one thing we're looking at. Because I think, you know, and again, <clears throat> really big for us as a business, and we've all sat down and discussed this as a management team, if and when we have levers from the company, we don't want to be like, you know, the, the normal recruitment thing is boot them at the door, never, you know, how dare you, you know, you're, you're dead to us, we'll never see you again. We, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't want to do that, okay? You know, if this person okay. has genuinely come in and, and been with us for a year, two years, three years, whatever, and helped us on that journey, then let's say thanks to them. You know, let's, let's praise it. Just because they've now decided we are no longer the right journey, you know, vehicle for them on their journey, doesn't mean they're in the wrong, doesn't mean they're, you know, the scum of the earth all of a sudden. Um, it's funny. It is. It's and funny, I think, and that's like- really a stigma that we yeah. want to get away from. Yeah, exactly. Like last month, Johnny was, you know, uh, could do no wrong. He was like, we we're singing his praises and then he leaves yeah. and yeah. then he's gets Who's bad Johnny? mouth. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. So, okay. I like that. Yeah. But, um, the, the share option scheme, is there a U.S. equivalent or is, are they actually in the UK, you know, in the UK scheme? Yeah. So the U.S. business, the, owned, the US business okay. is owned by the UK business and the EMI will yeah. be over the UK business. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. Um, Who's eligible? How do you decide how that, you know, who gets to participate in that? So it's everybody. Every single person is going to have access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've not seen that before because usually it's – so 
other entrepreneurs I've spoken to, it's either been the leadership team plus there's uh, an element based on performance. So the big billers, the, the sort of like who are contributing a huge amount to the uh, NFI and who we need to retain. Um, those are the two people who, who t- or so how does it work in, in uh, premise then? So it's going to be everybody. Um, obviously, the senior leadership team will have access to you know to, to more shares and and obviously more value. But I think from everybody, whoever you meet when you come into the business, um, and obviously there's going to be qualifying periods when people start and that kind of stuff because you know it's a costly experience to to issue EMI shares. But I think you know everybody in the business I want to who's been with us for for more than twelve months. I want to have a piece of the piece of the pie. Um, you know they are helping us on this journey, and I think that sometimes. You know, businesses will go, well, Johnny, who's our top biller, is the most important person in this organization. Let's give him all the shares. But yeah, okay, Johnny's fine. But without, you know, Jack doing that role, Johnny couldn't do what he does. So I think yeah. it's really important that you, you think of everybody in the business. You know, you don't just kind of um, praise and reward your just your top salespeople. Obviously, they are you know doing you know an incredible job and in bringing the sales in. But I think it's a real family team unit that gets the business to to real growth and and, and perform, high performance. Fantastic. All right. It, I, I love that. That's really interesting. So let's talk about you've, this is now the third, second time, third time you've scaled the business. Third time. Third time. Okay. Third and final mark. So, all right. <laughs> so what have been the big mistakes, the big lessons learned that you're trying not to repeat this time? Um, I think I'll start. My number one is, is work-life balance. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, I was um, very much, I, I love what I do. Okay. And I'm very open about that. And I feel very, very fortunate every single day to have the job that I have um, because, you know, I don't think there's any other industry like this. And I think it's an incredible industry and I genuinely, genuinely am passionate for it, which is a bit, bit weird, but I, I love it. Um, and I think that, you know, when you, when you do have something that you love so much and you are successful at it and you can do well at it, it's very easy just to get, to, to get lost in it and forget what else is going on in this big wide world. So I think there've definitely been times in my career where, um, I've put the job first um, and I think that readdressing that now, my kids are five and seven and they are my reason. They are my everything. Um, so, you know, I do school pickup and drop off twice, twice a week now, sometimes three, three times a week. And, and that for me is just time where I just love it. Like that's, you know, it's, and, and that's only happened since leaving, uh, Premier in, in February last year. So the last 12 months, it's just been a game changer. It really has been incredible for me. And, um, yeah, absolutely love that side of things and properly having like, quality time with the kids as well so previously it would just be like the weekend and, and i was very hands-on on the weekend but that was previously but now it's you know get that proper proper kind of t- down tools and when they go to bed at 7 30 don't get me wrong I'm, I'm back on my laptop doing us work but you know it's that quality quality kind of time with those which has made a huge difference and, and just mentally the difference that that has made to me my perspective on life the way i you know I also look at how my other employees are, are, are working and operating um just a game changer for me, genuine game changer. And I think that, you know, so many businesses now are looking at the four day week. All right. And, uh, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying never for premise at all. Uh, if my employees watch this, then I'll be dragged into a meeting room tomorrow and, and, and uh, <laughs> they'll be grilling me, but I'm not saying no to it at all. I think um, there are some businesses out there doing an incredible job with it already. Uh, you know, MRL thrive, these guys, you know, absolutely, you know, leading the way with it. I think us in startup mode still, and just gathering that traction, um, we'll, we'll, but we'll definitely review it. So for me, work-life balance uh, is, 
is number one key lesson I learned. Um, before go for before it. we move on from that, Ben, yeah, yeah. Um, this is something that's easy to say and hard to do. And I, a lot of the entrepreneurs I interview are just absolute. I, I I don't know want to use the word workaholic, but they're like hustle, hustle, hustle. Like you know the and they to them that is integral to their success and and yeah. especially in startup mode and and like you're starting a new business, you absolutely cannot let it fail. You yeah. uh, want it to be successful, not just because it's you, you, your family, your security, but your employees, their families. There's yeah. so much on your at shoulders stake. here. Yeah, there's a lot at stake. It's a huge responsibility. Um, so how do you balance that where you absolutely ha- like need to make this work? On the other hand, you need it to be sustainable. You don't want to burn out and you also, your, your kids are only young once and you don't want to miss that. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, how do you physically do that? <clears throat> For me, it's, um, <clears throat> it's something I've always been very good at is, is kind of comp- compartmentalizing. Um, okay. so, so really, you know, this is my work time and this is my time with the kids. Um, and, and this is my downtime, you know, you got to, t- you know, I took it, I took it running in lockdown and that again, you know, get game changer for me just in terms of, you know, t- two to three times a week now go out, how that's, that's my me time, you know, headphones awesome. on and, and, and actually just go, go and run for it. Um, but I think that compartmentalizing and being strict with yourself around it as well. Um, our head of people, Sophie, who also is incredible at managing my diary and that kind of stuff. She knows that, right. That time is blocked out nothing goes in there that time is blocked out nothing goes in there um so for me that that kind of just being strict with yourself like i know uh, how hard i work uh, and how much i'm putting into this startup without a doubt um you know uh, there are nights when i'll be there till you know god knows whatever time uh, working but those blocks of time that are important to me because when you when you have those blocks of time out that then refreshes you mentally physically whatever to then come back and and go harder next time round and i think that people get too um too caught up with this i have to run 100 miles an hour 7 days a week otherwise my business is going to fail that is not the right you know, you've got to have this downtime you've got to have this time to refresh relax your brain um and and you know recuperate recharge yourself and and then go back at it awesome so it's block time basically you're 100%. blocking in your big rocks like stephen covey absolutely recommends you know yeah. you've got your own me time fitness family yeah. those are uh, non-negotiable, and then the work will happen all around that. All around it, yeah, all around it. Got Literally, it. All, all right, around awesome. it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I hear you. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, 
identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So that's one of the lessons that you've learned the hard way. What, what else? Um, I think, um, and uh, I mentioned this the other day to somebody, is around when, in, in my last role as, as MD and, and co-owner of a business, when you're not majority shareholder, you want that business to to not be able to run without you. Um, because you're not majority, you, you need to make yourself in, in, indispensable almost, because if you're not, then, you know, and, you know, you, you can be gotten rid of at any time. So I think being able to run a business now, um, it's just about letting people go. Um, I was, I was, I was definitely guilty of micromanaging in my, in my past, um, hundred percent. Um, and I think now being able to not do that and just let people go, this is, this is our expectations, communicate well, effectively, but this is the remit. Off you go and do it. You make your own mistakes. And, and if I'm here, come back to me. We'll have a catch up once a week, once a month, whatever. Um, I think just being able to empower people and let people go and do their own thing more is is a massive lesson I learned and something that I'm really enjoying in, in Newco, just being allowed to do that and, and let people go off. And as I said, results are proving that it's working. So, um, so yeah, that's been a massive learn for me. Ben, isn't there a balance there though? Like I, nobody likes being micromanaged or being a micromanager, but if someone is, for example, either um, earlier in their career and or they're struggling, then they do need more direction and more, um, you know, KPIs and that sort of thing, don't they? Yeah, totally. So I was, I was talking about the, kind of the, the management team there and, and the trust around those guys, which is okay. great. I think when you're looking at consultants and junior consultants, um, again, for me, it's, it's expectations and making sure that they're communicated effectively with people um, and just having a very open business where people feel like they can come and talk if they have an issue. Um, this is something that's incredibly important for me. And this is strangely enough, we've, we've developed this incredible culture around this in premise, uh, very much due to some of the senior people. Sophie Anthony, for example, my head of people is just fantastic at people just go to her. Like she's just like the mum of the company. People just want to go and open up to her, which is great because they want to talk to their salesperson, sales manager about something, but having this additional person there they can go and vent to is just brilliant. We've then done a lot of internal stuff uh, around DNI, funny enough. So we've got like an allyship program where once a month we'll all come together, whether it be on Zoom or, or, or face-to-face, and we'll talk about diversity, we'll talk about ethnicity, we'll talk about LGBTQT+, and just creating these kind of safe spaces, whether it be on Zoom, whatever, where people can just open up and talk freely about their experiences, what they've been through. The knock-on effect that has to the business, because people feel like this is a safe space to talk. If people are struggling or if people are having a bad day, it makes people much more open to about discussing that with their colleagues rather than just kind of keep bottling up. Because we all all know, you know, people get to the end of a career in recruitment because they bottle stuff up. They don't talk about it. That You know, I've got nobody I can go to. And that problem just spirals and spirals and spirals. They go into a diamond spiral, very hard to come back from that. So I think by, by doing the stuff we're doing, which is for me, was never an intention, you know, running this DNI stuff and this internal stuff was never an intention that this would happen, but it's just created such an amazing culture in the business where people genuinely feel like they can speak up, um, you know, if, you know, if something's bothering them or affecting them. 
Amazing. Someone, uh, do you know Chikare Ibakwe? She's one of our trainers. She's one of our coaches. Awesome. Yeah, All right. she is Fantastic. incredible. She's great. Yeah. Um, she's been on the on the podcast before, mm. and uh, yeah, she's she's a, a dynamo as well. Incredible. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So, but coming back to the micromanagement, then, mm. um, what specifically have you changed? Because you said letting people go or letting people, you know, focus on the results and and you know learn from mistakes, but like what. How does that contrast with what you used to do and how have you made that work? So I think I used to be very much like in people's business, you know, I'm here, you know, what do you need? What do you need? What help do you need? Um, constantly looking at, you know, reviewing stats, calls for the sake of calls sake. Like, you know, if you're going to have a call just to, you know, find out what's going on and, you know, if the person's not getting any value or benefit from that, then that call, as much as it's feeding your own ego because you're here, hearing what's going on, it's not adding any value to that person at all. Um, so I think those kind of things have changed for me, massive believer. We've got one up, um, in our business, uh, in terms of, oh, kind yeah. of yeah. So in terms of kind of stats and, and reviewing and reporting and stuff like that, I, you know, it's, it's about making, making the consultant accountable for themselves. You know, this shouldn't be us coming to you going, you need to add 20 contacts to the system this week. Otherwise you're not doing your job properly. It's getting the consultant to sit down and go, right, this is what I want to achieve this month, this year, this quarter, let's work it back. Right. So in order for me to achieve 20 grand this month, how many jobs do I need to pull? If I need to pull that many jobs, what activity do I need to pull that many jobs? And they set the target themselves. That's them accountable. That's not me going, you need to do this. That's them going, okay, I need to do this. And if it, if it gets if it's them coming to that conclusion themselves, then they're much more accountable for it because it's, they've set it. It's nothing coming from me. Okay. I said, so they understand metrics, ratios, activity targets, and all that. You've trained them. You've coached them on that. It's just, you're not on top of them every day going, why haven't you made 20 calls? Or Correct. Yeah, absolutely. They're not. managing that themselves. Correct. And it's very visible. We had uh, Ian Moise on the show um, talking about building high-performance sales teams. And he's the he, he's the founder of 1UP. And, um, but the great thing with that is very visible to everybody. And people are, they have that awareness and that visibility of their metrics. And so it kind of does the accountability for you. You don't really need to. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, once you go through that process and you sit down and they're the ones that set the targets, they're the ones that set the goals. If at the end of the month, they've not done that, then it's not, it's, it's either a skill issue or it's a motivation issue, right? right? And that's then your job, our job to work out which one it is. You know, do they need more training? Are they not understanding what they need to be doing? Or is there a genuine lack of motivation here? They, you know, they, they don't feel motivated. They don't, you know, they're not in the right role, whatever. And that's the two things you need to break down into. I love it. Okay. Awesome. So life work balance and, uh, the way to get the best performance out of people without, being on top of them, micromanaging them are two bigs. Uh, let's get one more kind of key lesson that you've learned the hard way that you're um, applying in this current startup. Um, I think if, if I if I go back to the S three days um, and you know very transactional business, and obviously you know I I don't know the S three business now. It's changed a hell of a lot since two thousand and six when I left. Um, but very transactional business. Go in, 
get the deal done, make as much money as you can, and then go on to the next client was, was very much the kind of mentality back in those days because there were enough yeah. companies out there. And I think for me, even when I came out of that organization, it, I, I kind of spun that on its head. And I've, I've always been a massive believer of, um, you know, pe- people do business with people. They don't do business with premise or, you know, as much as the brand is there, great, but people do business with the, the person they're dealing with. Um, mm. And for me, it's about really nurturing client relationships. I, I, I love two sides of my job the most. It's people, seeing people get promoted, developing people, bringing people through the ranks. And then the second side is, is the client piece. I absolutely love the client piece. And, you know, if I'm not, uh, you know, with the kids or with, with the missus, you know, I'll be, I'll be entertaining clients and doing that side of things. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a real partnership with your clients. And I think that's the thing that I took the most from that time and have, have implemented, especially into NewCo. You know, we have some amazing clients that we're working with where it's a partnership. You know, there's no other agencies. It's, it's us. Um, they trust us. We're doing it so much more above and beyond just recruitment um, because of our expertise, because of, you know, the, the number of years of experience we've got in the industry. Um, and for me, once you get that relationship, then that's business for life. You know, the clients I was working with in 2006, I am still working with now, you know, because, because that's the relationships I have with people. And I think that, you know, if any consultant out there or senior manager out there, you know, can look at their client base right now and say, right, who's going to be with me? in 10 years time who's going to be with me in five years time you know how what am i doing to nurture these relationships really nurture them and go above and beyond in terms of value that i'm adding and that might be you know building a relationship on a golf course if that's you know that's obviously important but it's then also what more can you do in terms of the service you know with what more can you do in terms of not just putting bums on bums on seats it's about you know, salary data, benchmarking, um, reviewing their job specs, helping them whether with their EVP, looking at, you know, forecast planning and what they're doing around forecast planning. All this kind of stuff is just how you can make their lives easier. And that's what people want at the end of the day. Absolutely. hundred percent. So um, what would you say has been looking back over your career? And it could be at premise or it could be past experience was you know, one of the biggest challenges that you've had to navigate? Um, biggest challenges. Um, I think, I think one of my things I've always done and always loved to do was, was organic growth. Um, and that was very much the business model at Premier was, was organic growth and bringing people through. Um, the, the positive side of it is the fact that obviously, you know, these people are, they, they, they come in as trainees, they don't know anything else. This is the business that they've brought, been brought up in. And I think that you get a huge amount of loyalty off the back of that. And if I look at, you know, the management team I had at, at Premier Group, you know, they all worked for me for like eight years. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a lever in my management team for like seven, eight years. Um, and that was, you know, because you bring these people up through the ranks and, and you look after them in terms of earnings and progression and salary and bonuses and all that kind of stuff. But they also look after you. And, and I think that that loyalty is incredible. So, but the flip side of that with the organic growth is that it's very hard to scale quickly. Yes. Um, because you're waiting for this talent to come up and come through. Um, so, you know, that can be, and even though, you know, my time at, at Premier with the growth that we achieved, you know, I feel like if we'd have really nailed down how to bring in some good senior people, um, but our culture there was very much 
Premier is known for bringing people in, training them up, and then and then that's kind of the cycle that goes through. So so the the learn from that for me coming into Premier was was really having a culture where we can take experience senior people and we've done it you know we've done it from the start which is great you know people and these are people you know the, the senior people we've taken have only been in kind of one or two of the companies you know for me people that have gone like six seven eight companies that's not you know i'm looking for this Lo- loyalty for me you know is a big one so i just think um if we can get the organic growth coming through a premise plus that ability to kind of bring in those experienced good senior people i mean this is the the mecca that every recruitment business owner ever wants isn't it but that that's the kind of the ideal for us if we can get that get that moving within the business i think it's just creating a culture that allows you to have both of those things coming through so the organic growth and also the senior teams because i think a lot of businesses get one really good but they don't get the other very good and i think that's where they potentially can, could struggle to grow so what was the challenge you experienced that helped you to come to this realization and and you know and and figure out the formula to achieving both I think it was just looking back and, you know, when you start a new business, you look, you do sit and you, you analyze your life, don't you, right? What, what have been my biggest, you know, you do a podcast with yourself. What were my biggest challenges, my biggest learns? You know, what, what, what have I you know, learned the most? And I wrote down everything I loved about what I've achieved so far. And I wrote down everything I, I, like I hate, you know, what, what are the things that I didn't like about the way I manage people, about the culture, about what I create, what I built. And that was the blueprint, you know, and I, I literally found the book the other day back at home. I was like, oh, this is where Primus was born, you know, and hopefully Amazing. we'll look back at this in 20 years time and keep this book. But, you know, and, and that was the kind of the, the back of it that, that we, you know, built it on. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's a culture thing. You know, I think, I think um, as I said at Premiere, you know, there were it was very organic growth so people coming in coming through and when we used to bring seniors in all they saw was well everyone here started as a trainee so I almost kind of don't fit in do you know what I mean I'm almost kind of the the, the dark sheep kind of thing because I don't fit in here so I think just just flipping that round and having a culture where you've got a good balance you know from, from the start and it's obviously much easier when you start a business to create a, a culture as you want it um, where we have got this organic training academy but we've also got some really cool senior people that have come in and made a huge success of it so um, so yeah, hopefully that will continue and, and work well for us. Amazing. And uh, may, by the way, may I ask, how are you funding this like rapid growth? Because that's the thing with organic growth is it um, takes longer. Mm-hmm. But you seem to be like on a on a rocket right now. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, I put my own cash into it, um, yeah. and we've got we're invested backed as well um, by the incredible Steve Wynn, um, who sold Kingsbridge Contractor Insurance uh, the day before I've lockdown. Heard of Steve Wynn. Yeah, day before lockdown. Oh wow! So Steve, Steve's twenty percent shareholder, and I'm eighty percent shareholder of the business. But yeah, um, but to be fair, we <laughs> touch wood. Uh, you know, cash flow is good right now. We're we're not having to dip into any of our investment. We're just kind of self funding. So it's um, yeah, we're in a good place. We're not having to use invoice financing. We're just kind of running for it. So yeah, we're um, six, fingers crossed, Mark. It continues this way as Amazing. long as possible. Yeah. How are you? How are you building a contract book without invoice financing? We're just using cash flow. We've got the invoice finance in place. Uh, we're just okay. not need. We're just not needing to use it right now. All right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's phenomenal. Mm. Awesome, Ben. So, what does the future hold? What's uh, what's uh, new and exciting, or what's next? 
at premise. Well, yeah, I think there's a space background. If I say world domination one more time, people might start to get a bit worried about me. But um, uh, yeah, it's growth. You know, we, we want to be a growth business. This isn't a lifestyle for me. Um, I want to make sure that everybody coming on the journey with me has a piece of the pie and, and has a share of premise. Um, and that's, you know, kind of my commitment to everybody in the business and, and, and anyone who's looking to join us. Um, UK growth, US growth, um, really want the UK business to be growing some incredible talent, which we can then obviously move over to the US as well. I know that if I was a 22-year-old recruiter right now, I would be on that plane quicker than you can say anything. Um, so, you know, I think if we can we can really kind of grow out the, the US market as well. And then Europe is on our roadmap. You know, we want to we want to be good at what we're doing first and make sure we're, you know, we have a good market share within the UK and the US. But I think we're already doing quite a bit of business in, in Germany and, and France currently. Um, so we want to obviously look at building and expanding on that in the future. But it's people first, Mark. It's, you know, um, it's just making sure that my guys are looked after. I don't have a business unless I have good people and working for me. So they are my number one priority and they, they will be moving forward. Love it. Ben, this has been so fun and, uh, and fascinating. So thanks for sharing your uh, experiences and your passion for the recruitment industry. No problem. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. Recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the Resilient Recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you, or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.